Hey, Chief, if you come through this all right, hope you don't hold a grudge. What the fuck are you doing? Where is it? She's reporting in the rear cabin. First, I thought he was singing YMCA in the play. Hello again, friends. This is the Film Effect Podcast. Good morning, Film Effect. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the game right there. That's World War Three. Fucking hot recording right now. I literally never wanted to punch movie in its face more than I had last night. Definitely worth your time. It's it's definitely worth revisiting. Fifteen minutes in, I'm like, uh, Dorothy, we're not in Oakland anymore. It's in 4K, buddy. Check it out. It was kind of like an afternoon, you like drive time type thing. Or like the type of podcast you listen to at work. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Hello again and welcome to an all new Film Effect podcast, the weekly show that gives you the deepest of dives featuring a different film each episode in an effort to give it what we call the full Film Effect treatment. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is Con Air. He's a U.S. Ranger. Highly decorated. Did a little hell raising when he was a kid, but nothing serious. He's defending his wife. Got in a drunken brawl. And he killed the guy. Could have happened to you or me. After serving the last of his sentence, Cameron Poe is taking the first plane home to his wife and daughter. Today's flight is a special one. We're populating Louisiana's Felton Penitentiary. These guys are the worst of the worst. I see a lot of celebrities among us. I see 11 primetime lives, three regions from Kathy Lee's, and a genuine 2020 interviewee. What you looking at, punk? Nothing, I was just lying on your cage. But one wrong flight 
Stewardess, what's the in-flight movie today? <laughs> Can ruin your whole day. What happened? We caught the plane, man! Welcome to Con Air. Jailbird 1, you are not cleared for takeoff. And nobody on this aircraft gives a flyer. The issue here is how the plane is brought down. Shoot it down. There are innocent people up there. He's got a little girl to come home to. He's been waiting for this day for eight years. What are you going to do? What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to save the day. This summer, check your weapons. Take your seat. Isn't that your car? And say your prayers. He's got the whole world in his hand. From Jerry Bruckheimer, the producer of The Rock. Nicholas Cage, John Cusack, John Malkovich. Where are they going to land this thing? How do you feel about the blackjack tables? On June 6th. by Simon West. Thank you, and have a pleasant flight. Con Air, newly paroled ex-con and former U.S. Ranger Cameron Poe finds himself trapped in a prisoner transport plane when the passenger has seized control. So I've been looking forward to doing this episode for a little while now. Kind of forgot about it for a couple months, but then I realized, hey, it's the 25th anniversary. That's why we're kind of suddenly doing this out of the blue. Um... Actually, we're a couple months late that the uh, anniversary was actually in uh, early June. But, hey, still, you know, it came out 25 years ago, and it's a film that got memories we're going to get into. Um, it's, a, it's a fun-filled, action-packed joyride, which we're going to talk about. And, uh, yeah, just it's just uh, classic Nick Cage, and I'm just, you know... Really, like I keep saying, I'm excited to talk about it because I really am. Because this is Con Air, dude. This yeah. is a movie that I hold near and dear to my heart. For as stupid as it is, you know, it's 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 kind of like that asshole. Of the group, he's an asshole, yeah, but he's our asshole. This movie, it's a dumb movie, but yeah, it's our dumb movie, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's classic Cage and also classic Bruckheimer. I mean, this oh, God, thing yeah. has Bruckheimer all over it. Like when I was younger, I honestly thought Michael Bay made this film. Because I, I kind of confused Bruckheimer and Bay. I'm going to bring you know. that up later on. I'm glad you mentioned that. So, Yeah, uh, it has a lot of touches that are close to Bay. It's not quite like, as an adult now, there's a lot of differences. I can easily tell it's not a Bay film. But back then, I kind of confused Bruckheimer and Bay. So, yeah, I definitely got that messed up. But, yeah, it, it, this movie's always been a favorite of mine. I mean, it's soaked in 90s cheese, but it's still fun. And it's such an easy watch, which I'm about to get into, and, you know, it's just one of them films that just, start to finish, it just flows so perfectly, and you don't even realize before you know it, it's over. Yeah. And and so. It is two hours. It's not like a short movie, but it, no. it, it, there's no downtime whatsoever, does it, really. It does not feel 115 minutes one bit. So, we're about to get into it. Uh... Let's talk about our first time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to... Uh... So you were there 
I don't know if you recall this or not, but this was one of the when we first started going to see movies across the street at North Point by ourselves. Like this was one of the first because it was in '97. There was a bunch of films we saw over that time. I remember us seeing 101 Dalmatians. I remember us <laughs> seeing Event Horizon. More on that when we get to that episode. And I remember us seeing this. Um, you were definitely there. I know the Mexicans were there. Shout out Andy Allen Ben. And um, do you remember that? Is that how you remember it too? Well, I actually saw this movie twice in theaters. Now, I don't recall oh, which one was first. Okay. No, you definitely saw I think you saw this with your family, didn't you? Yeah, I saw this with my family. So okay, yeah. I distinctly remember seeing it with you guys. Now, either one of these could have been the first viewing. I don't no, remember this was, exactly. You got to remember, Corey, this was at North Point. This was the discount theater. This was the tail end. So this is probably like around mid to late August of 97 if it came out in early June. Okay, so, so I probably saw it with my family first then because I distinctly remember we were on vacation. And uh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever done it with your family, but we went to like this resort where they try to sell you on a timeshare basically for the whole like weekend but in return you get to stay at the resort for the weekend for free essentially i don't know if you've ever done anything like that no 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 yeah so my parents were cheap so like we went there and i'm laughing because i'm like i can see ron sounds like a good idea let's try it (laughs) yeah it was funny like i didn't care because um when they were grilling my mom and dad to buy a timeshare they had like a playroom with like video games for us. So I was cool with it. Like I was playing oh, right. on Battletoads and Double Dragon on N- uh, Super NES. So I was cool with it. But, um, you know, we stayed at this resort and I remember it was raining the one day. So we went to like there was this little mall with a multiplex inside because it was raining that day. And we went and I forget what the other movie was. There was two movies we were contemplating. And I was like, I pushed my family over the edge. I was like, Con Air, Con Air, Con Air. And they're like, I don't know. It doesn't look appropriate because it was my whole family. Like my brother and my sister. I was like, it's fine. <laughs> and like, you know, my brother and sister, like both probably like nine and seven at the time or whatever. But I was like, it's cool. You know, it's appropriate. And we go see it. It's like this crappy little movie uh, multiplex in this crappy little mall. Uh, but I just remember having a blast watching it with my family. I, I'm pretty sure um, nobody else in my family really had a good time, but I know I did. <laughs> I was like just staring at the screen and all. And then, yeah, I remember seeing it with you guys too. Cause I, you know, it, like I said, I don't remember which one was first, but obviously it sounds like it was with my family first. So I was probably coming home singing the praises of uh, Nick Cage and Con Air. And then we went and saw it later at the discount theater. Yeah, this was under my radar way before it came out. I remember seeing a little sneak preview about it uh, earlier in the year when um, Entertainment Tonight, they had like a little making of. And I remember seeing, like, I, what stands out to me was, of course, Nick Cage and long hair. And I thought it was legit <laughs> at the time because I'll be like, oh, shit, man's growing his hair out for, you know, this action role. That's pretty badass. Never seen that before, that, that look on Nick Cage. It's different. Um, of course, lo and behold, it was a wig. Getting that a little bit coming up, coming up too. <laughs> but um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It did. Um, I have a funny story though before we get into the actual, you know, meat of the episode. So story time. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story 
I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. And, you know, it's just talking about rewatchability. And I distinctly remember this uh, a year after it came out when it was actually, like, available to own. Or I probably scooped up a nine ninety nine used copy uh, at Blockbuster. Uh, I just remember the summer of 98. Um, like... I just watched this movie religiously, my VHS copy. Like the film, it's such a fun and easy watch, and I definitely, I know for a fact, I wore that goddamn film thin on that that tape back in the day. <laughs> Excuse me, back in the day. Um, I it, copy it, too. it was kind of like I remember that. It, it was kind of like I had a similar story on our um, Empire Records episode uh, last year. How you know when I had that DVD, I just had it on loop playing all the time, and it was so somewhat similar with this. Um, although I wasn't sitting there, you know, watching it till the credits rolled and then rewound it and played it again. It was just a film that, like, every day I would just play it, and then it would be kind of like act as background noise for some of the times because it was just a film I it was an easy watch, you know. Yeah. Um. No, I got you. Nowadays. Uh you and your kids and you're streaming like people put on like the office or something in the background. Right, right, right. Back then we had VHS. So that's what you did. Exactly. So yeah, that's when I think about Con Air, you know, I have a lot of memories that, that come to mind, but that's definitely one of them that I think of the most or, or often, um, it's just that VHS tape that I had. Yeah. I remember watching mine all the time because, you know, as time has gone on, I've realized and I think we talked about it in one of the Bayhem episodes, but, um, you know, this is my favorite Bruckheimer production film of all time. And this is probably my Nick favorite Nick Cage action film. Like as far as his action roles go, uh, I think this one tops some of the other ones, you know, that people might talk about. So I don't know what it is about the film in particular. I just like Cage's accent. <laughs> I just <laughs> like the whole his premise Alabama of it. accent. Yeah, like he just sounds hilarious nowadays. Like when I was a kid, I didn't really think anything of it, but now it just sounds friggin' hilarious listening to him. Um, I love Malkovich as the uh, bad guy. Like <laughs> it's just such a fun film, and it's just one I can rewatch. Like honestly, for the episode, I didn't even rewatch the movie because I just watched it like maybe a month or two ago. Like <laughs> it's just right. one of those I pop in every once in a while. Yeah, same here. Uh, no, from. That's the the term I was looking for. Comfort it was like like comfort food almost. This movie acted as for me. You know, everyone's got their comfort food. This was a comfort movie. So yeah. Any any time I was just looking for something to watch or I was just in a foul mood or just whatever. Um that that VHS copy of Connor was always there for me, waiting in my VHS player. So uh before we get into the actual plot, let's uh do our top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I feel kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. 
Nirvana smells like teen spirit off of Nevermind. Oh, no, Rob, that's not obvious enough. Not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Night. All right, top five films, or I should say our top five favorite films of the uh, summer 97. I'll start it off. Um... I have an honorable mention this week. I just have a strict top five. Five, four, three, two, one. Number five for me is Mimic, a film that, funny enough, I could not stand after I came out of the theater watching it <laughs> that late August of 97. Me and uh, Nick and Tim Rowley. Uh, no, that movie definitely... Uh, oh, Nick Nephos, shout out. That movie definitely has grown on me over the years. In fact, I just uh, bought the Blu-ray that uh, Paramount put out a couple months ago and you know it's a lot better than what's up is it have charles s dutton in it is that the one i'm thinking of yeah 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. and uh younger norman reedus and uh josh brolin's in it and uh it's mira sovino and uh i think jeremy norton i think the guy's name is i don't know the guy's kind of just vanished whoever the, the the lead is in that damn movie but anyway, I'm, I digress. The movie itself, like I said, it's definitely grown on me, and it's kind of, over the last 25 years, turned out to be one of my favorite, you know, creature feature movies, especially of the 90s, you know? It's it's definitely creepy. I hate bugs to begin with, and um, I don't know. The more I watch it, the more it makes sense, and... Um, Unfortunately, the Blu-ray is the director's cut, but um, thankfully it has the theatrical version because I prefer that, um, oddly enough. So yeah, Mimic, number five. How about you? Yeah, I, Mimic's not on my list, but I remember seeing that in theaters too. I think we got like a um, pre-screening for that, like someone at my mom or my dad or something like that. And I remember liking it. I remember renting it too and liking that movie. I got to rewatch that. It's been a long time since I've seen Mimic. Um, one question though, before I reveal my top five, would you consider early May summer? Cause I would, when would I say consider... summer, I would, I should have specified May, June, July, August, those four months. Okay. That clears it up. Cause I consider pretty much. So yes, all the fifth May. element counts. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, my number five is contact. Um, a film when I was looking back, I didn't expect it to make my top five, but I've rewatched that a couple of times through the years and I really respect that movie. It's like high level sci-fi, but it's still really entertaining. And obviously Jodie Foster, Matthew McConaughey. So like awesome leads in there, but uh, it was one I saw when I was younger. I didn't really appreciate it that much. Uh, but as I keep watching it, I really do like contact a lot more. I like the whole premise and the execution of it. And it's just for anybody who likes, you know, more of a thinking man's highbrow sci-fi. It was really good and kind of out of place in the summer of the late nineties, <laughs> like it was then, but uh, it was a welcome film and I really enjoy it. So contacts number five. Um, actually I take that back. That mimic copy I have is actually the director's cut strictly. There's no R rated version or it's, it is R rated both versions, but the theatrical version, I should say. Is not on there. Um, I don't know. I still I still prefer the theatrical cut. Anyway, getting back to number four. Number four for me is Event Horizon, a film we just talked about. Um, 
a film that just came out on 4K, speak of the devil, and ooh, man, it looks fucking great. Um, yeah, uh, the movie itself, definitely, over the years, has become more of a, has had more, gained more of a cult following. Yeah, come on, Ed, language. English. Uh, no, the movie itself, though, um, it's creepy, and I wish the guy, and I'm, I know I'm speaking for so many people, and I'm kind of preaching to the choir with this, you know, we we get that that footage that was deleted that Paramount, you know, had destroyed, or uh, it it just all the shit because what came out, what we got in the in the final cut is just like glimpses and whatnot. You know, they didn't actually they have a, didn't yeah. they have a whole bunch of like the other crew? Isn't that what it was? Yeah, there's like a, a there's like a orgy from hell and shit going on in one of them scenes. It's 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 nuts. Um. You know, the film itself, you know, it ain't perfect. You know, it's kind of why it's kind of, <laughs> you know. Kind of silly in some kinda, spots. Kind of low-key low, low, low on my list, but the movie itself, it's still overall. Um, a, a lot of the, the good makes up for the bad. Let's put it that way. So, yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm sure a lot of people listening have, and you either agree or you disagree. It Have at it. But yeah, number four for me, Event Horizon. Yeah, that movie scared the shit out of me when I, we saw it back in the day. Uh, you know, it still has some creepy parts in it. It's still enjoyable. It, it just missed my list. Like, honestly, that was one I was contemplating. That would have probably been on my list had mm-hmm. another one not counted. <laughs> so, right. Um, but yeah, Event Horizon is uh, flawed, but still enjoyable. I, I, I like that movie, too. So, yeah, it definitely was close. Uh, but my number four is Men in Black. Just a fun, entertaining movie. I mean, how can you not love the chemistry between Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith in that film? Uh, the whole premise, I think, is a brilliant premise of having like the guys in the suits come in with the aliens. Just so inventive uh, in the film and just funny. Like, I love Vincent D'Onofrio. Like, that's one of my favorite like villain roles. Just hilarious. He's like pulls a skin back. Is that better? Like, it's just great. The sugar. movie's great top to bottom. In yeah, water. sugar. <laughs> yeah. More. More. It's like everybody has their A game in that film, and it's just uh, really inventive and just really surprised me back when that came out. Yeah. Um, I like Men in Black. I just, I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while, and I don't know if it holds up for me or not. So, anyway. The first one does, not the second one. Yeah, got that right. Number three, The Fifth Element. I mean, come on. I love Fifth Element. It's, it's. We got to cover that shit soon. Yeah, we got to cover it, definitely. Um, it's a wild movie. Uh, I actually watched it. Last time I watched it was about a year and a half ago. Uh, me and a couple of buddies covered it for uh, Mad Dad. A rare episode Madeline wasn't a part of. It was just me and a couple of old friends. We watched it and, and uh, <laughs> talked about it. That was a. Uh, fun day but yeah I, I i'm definitely looking forward to doing it inevitably on this show so um fifth element number three um if you want to hear about my thoughts more on it check out the episode that's forthcoming yeah my uh number three definitely has to be just a movie i remember seeing with the fam seeing with you uh and that's face off uh i could <laughs> not talk about uh this summer season without face off i remember just being so excited for the movie uh just looking up the show times just dragging my family including my grandmother <laughs> to see the movie just 
Like I was so pumped uh, and it did not disappoint. Uh, just Nick Cage and uh, John Travolta were just like tearing the house down. It was just so entertaining. So fucking ridiculous. Like I want his face off. Like if you haven't seen it, if you think it's too cheesy, do yourself a favor and watch that movie. I, I defy you not to have some kind of fun. Like if you don't have fun with that movie, you have like a stick up your ass or something. Like just a fun nineties action movie. You don't just, you don't get stuff like that anymore. Like the big budget, crazy action movie. You just don't get something like that anymore. Yeah. Keeping the conversation going. Number two for me, face off. Uh, I was there that night. Actually, it was me, you, your mother and your grandmother saw it at East point. Um, that movie is wild. I'm not sure why we haven't covered it yet. To be honest with you, to be perfectly honest with you. Another one, we got to add to that list to, uh, do, uh, Sooner than later, let's just say, because I have lots to say about it. It's it's a great film, um, and uh, something tells me we're not done talking about it this episode. So yeah, number four, two is uh, Face Off. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely get on that one too. Um, my number two is Fifth Element. Uh, you already brought it up. Uh, obviously, I love this movie. I think for my money. Fifth Element is like one of the best world building sci-fi films. Like I believe that the world in the Fifth Element exists and I just love it. I just love all the costumes, all the sets, all the effects with the city. Like everything in that film just works even today. Like with the effects, it still just works. Uh, and then Bruce Willis is perfect yeah. in there as like the likable everyman type. Um, Mia Hovich. Yeah, Corbin Dallas. Mia Hovovich is just awesome as like this god alien kicking ass. Like, I mean, she was just great in it. I mean, everybody's great. I even love like the guy who tries to rob Corbin Dallas. He's like, the cash, give me the cash. Like, I yeah. fucking love that guy. Like, who can forget that guy? <laughs> like, um, we gotta cover that. But yeah, just the world building, just fantastic like i absolutely believe that fellow and then gary oldman he's like fucking insane in that movie gary like oldman. apparently he apparently like he didn't even read the script and just sign on to the movie yeah <laughs> he's just like whatever like i'll do this to get my movie made you know and you know so, tiny lister jr is the president of the united states <laughs> yeah he's the fucking president yeah and it's like second in commands Brian James or something like that. It's like ridiculous. It's like idiocracy mixed in with fucking sci-fi. It's pretty fun. Uh, just an awesome movie, epic movie. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the day we cover that one. So yeah, number two for me, Fifth Element. Excellent. All right, number one for me, Conair. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> me right. too. Number one, Conair. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty pretty uh self-explanatory um for reasons we're about to get into here we go so i should first mention that this is the uh first film that Jerry Prockheimer made without Don Simpson. This is the first film with that new solo Jerry Bruckheimer logo at the very beginning of the movie. So, because unfortunately, Don Simpson had passed away after that. We had talked about that back in our rock episode that he had passed away before the film came out and that the film was in his memory 
And this was the following. This was the next film after The Rock that Brockheimer did. So I know. What a back-to-back set of films. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, all right. Uh, screenwriter of the movie, Scott Rosenberg, first learned of the U.S. Marshals Prisoner Transport Service while scanning the L.A. Times article that was given to him by the studio VP. After reading a fascinating account about how the real-life Con Air program transported roughly 150,000 prisoners each year, he visited the outfit's Oklahoma City base to get an eyewitness perspective of the incredible I'm going to get it out. The incredible operation, which quickly <laughs> formed the genesis operation, which quickly formed the genesis of for Con Air. Rosenberg spent three days on the Con Air plane with the convicts and flew all over the country. So, yeah, this thing was actually legit. This idea um, it wasn't as extreme as the one in this movie is. I mean, they, they make this sound like it's like a fucking walk and talk in maximum security prison. Like, this is just a little bit more low-key, I feel. But it's just, you know, the idea, the concept is, you know, definitely something that uh, wasn't made up entirely, you know. Just exaggerated, let's just put it that way. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they would put all these, like, heavy hitter maximum security guys on the same plane ever. No, 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 no. And I have some questions about that later on. Uh, but first, Corey, do you consider Con Air as one of Cage's holy trinity of action films with The Rock and Face Off? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think this is better than The Rock and Face Off. Not by a whole lot. I think all three of those films are <clears throat> some of the best examples of 90s action and I love Nick Cage and to death and all of them. Cause you know, for a while, that's what I knew Nick Cage for was action films. Like it might sound crazy. It sounds crazy to me, but you got to think, you know, a lot of his work in the eighties and early nineties, I was a kid. Like I, I didn't watch those like a type of adult films, like raising Arizona or uh, leaving Las Vegas or anything like that. Like I mainly knew him when I was younger in the mid nineties for action movies. Cause that's what he was making around that time. So yeah, I appreciate the Holy Trinity. I mean, to me that was Nick cage back then until I got a little bit older and started uh, realizing the man could, I mean, he acts in these films, but he could really act, you know? So he, there's right. a lot more to offer, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think they're all like a tier excellent action movies in their own right. I just happened to like Con Air just a little bit more. That's all. Cage was always someone I grew up knowing. I was always familiar with him as, as far back as I can remember being a young film watcher. Like I was familiar with like Raisin Arizona, even Peggy Sue got married. Um, Moonstruck, of course. Uh, uh, Wild at Heart was another one that I remember seeing a couple times <laughs> on uh, Showtime. But, uh, and, you know, I remember when Red Rock West came out and Guarding Tess. But yeah, Guarding Tess. Um, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Honeymoon in Vegas was the big one that I remember him being like, that, that was kind of a big role for him. That was a big deal back when that came out. <laughs> Um, and then Guardian Test was another one. It it could happen to you. He started doing rom coms, and I remember that era of his career. Kiss to Death, I remember that because it was like a villainous character that he did. I wasn't used to seeing Nick Cage as a villain. Um, and then after that, it was like 
he won an Oscar for the next role. And then from then on, it was like these, these three films. Now, personally, I never considered it a trinity only because I would also, uh, it, it's kind of an era of these Bruckheimer action films. And the reason I call it an era and not like the Trinity is because you're leaving out Gone in 60 Seconds. Gone in 60 Seconds is also another one um, that I still consider, you know, that that Cage, you know, Bruckheimer action. It just has that same feel and 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 as these these movies lump together, you know. So I wouldn't consider it a tr- trinity because obviously it's four films, but, you know, it's a yeah. kind of like an era. Not to mention 60 Seconds came out, you know, three years after the uh, this and uh, uh, Face Off, so. Well, and no offense to God in 60 Seconds because I enjoy that film. I know a lot of people don't like it or naysayed it uh, compared to the original, but I like that film, but I think there's a gap between what you would say the Holy Trinity and gone in 60 seconds. I like gone in 60 seconds, but I don't think it's on the same level as like the rock face off or con air. I think, you know, while gone in six seconds might be an action film. I don't think it's nearly as good as I should, I I should make it known. I don't know how you, anyone listening is going to interpret what, how I just said all that, but I I, I don't want it to feel like I think that it's better because it's, I don't, I don't think Gone 60 Seconds is better by this or Face Off or hell, even um, The Rock by any means. I just think that it's, you know, uh, it, it, whenever I watch it, you know, it's it's because it's Cage and Bruckheimer, you know, it's it's another Touchstone film or this one. I think that one was actually Hollywood Pictures, but still it's Disney. And, you know, Tim and another goofy cast was if doing Cage things. I don't know. <laughs> people listening might also consider National Treasure as one of those, you know, kind of movies. But I've never, I'm, I, I never seen the, 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 any of the uh, National it's Treasure more, movies. They, they yeah, weren't for I'm, me. Yeah, National Treasure is a. They're okay movies. I mean, they're more of like an adventure type. But it, I mean, it is right. action too. Like you know, whereas Face Off, The Rock, and Con Air are just straight up action movies. Like there is no. Uh, question about but it, it's, you know, national but treasure. But ultimately, it's it's Nick Cage playing it cool, produced by yeah. Jerry, produced by Jerry, uh, yeah, Jerry Bruckheimer. So, right. Anyway, um, so this film released June of ninety seven, same month as Face Off, which came out a few weeks later. Films were actually shot consecutively. From ninety six to spring of ninety seven, with the two productions nearly overlapping at one point, and that brings us to the hairpiece, which you <laughs> know it's because it's obvious it's not you know authentic hair because if you know how he had short hair and face off, uh, not to mention in this film he starts off it's it's clear as day that it's, it's you know I couldn't tell being watching this as a thirteen year old and shit back in the day. Now watching it, it's clear as day, you know, that's an obvious hair piece. Um, oh, yeah. Especially in the scene, you know, we'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, the, um, he was on a roll, man. What can I say? You know, unfortunately, you know, Face Off is not produced by Jerry, Jerry Brockheimer, but it's still, a, a, it's a Jerry, John Woo film. It's something different. It's, it's even better. But, um, 
I don't know, like we were just talking about, you know, these two classic films in the making. Um, the film is dedicated to Phil Schwartz, who was an effects specialist who died during the filming when a rigged plane fell and crushed him. This is actually the second Bruckheimer production. There, there was a plane-related death on set. 11 years earlier, Art Skull, a pilot cameraman, died during the filming of Top Gun when his camera plane failed to recover from a spin and plunged into, uh, into the Pacific Ocean. Uh, finally, the jailbird plane was used had used during flight scenes, had a series of owners, both military and private. In December 2003, it was sold to All West Freight Incorporated in Delta Junction, Alaska. Only on, um, I'm sorry, on August 1st, 2010, it crashed into Mount Healy in Denali National Park, killing all three flight crew. All right, let's get into the film. So, we kind of talked about it before and just now. Remember, remember when the name Jerry Bruckheimer meant you were in for a real treat? God, man, I don't care. Anytime I see that production come up, I'm like, yes. Yeah, more so then than like anything now. Like, you know, maybe you could argue like you see the Marvel or something like that. When, you know, if you're a kid now, you see the Marvel, you're excited. But back then, I mean, you saw that Bruckheimer logo. You knew you were strapping in for some fucking action. Like there was no question about it, you know? Yeah, you even see it recently in uh, Bad Boys for Life, you saw it. And I was like, oh, yeah, love it. All right, so um, opening credits, we get that set to uh, an uncredited Powers Booth. That's him doing the monologue here, set to the footage of war, followed by Nick Cage's Cameron Poe reuniting with his pregnant wife, Trisha. And that's uh, Monica Potter. This was the first time I saw Monica Potter. Um yeah, me too. I'm trying to think if there was anything that she did prior to this that she'd be recognized. Because she definitely didn't have an introductory credit during uh, the credits. Um, um, question here. Yeah. Did it feel like an uh, ad for the military at the beginning with yes. the Powers Booth voiceover? It, it did. Like, I was watching. I was like, oh, man, this is the Bruckheimer um, military ad right here. It <laughs> did. It did. <laughs> no, okay, I knew it. That's right. Before this, she was the girl that uh, Adam Sandler tries to pick up in the biker bar in Bulletproof the year prior to this. And then he, like, the biker guy comes up, the boyfriend comes up, and he thinks that Keats, the played by um, Damon Wayans, has his back, but he ended up walking away when he didn't realize it, and he's on his own. And he's like talking all sorts of mad shit to the guy. Cause he says something along the lines of like, why don't you sit down before I bitch slap your fucking hiney or something? And then he turns around and realizes Damon Wayne's walked off and he's like, oh shit. But yeah, and he, he starts a bar fight and all because of that. But Monica Potter's the girl at the bar that he hits on. I remember that. And so that was the first time I saw her. And that was the year prior to this. So yeah. And then after this, she had, you know pretty decent career for a few years and then she kind of like went nowhere really and then still i mean now you know you can catch her in a bunch of television stuff like parenthood and um i think she's on that show goliath or she was at least that was the last thing i saw i see that she was credited for because as far as films go she was in that last house on the left remake as the mother and that was like Damn. 13 years ago. And that was the last thing I seen her in. And looking at her filmography, that was the last thing she did. 
outside of a documentary about John Lennon in 2014. But even before that, she was in Saw. She played uh, uh, Carrie Elway's uh, wife. You know, <laughs> she's pretty much there. Looked like she was on set for a few days to act scared, tied up to her little girl who played her daughter. And that was it. But, um, yeah, because she was in Along Came a Spider, and that movie kind of bombed a little bit. Or at least it didn't do as much as, because uh, that was a sequel to Kiss the Girls, which was a pretty modest hit 15 years ago, or 25 years ago when that came out. You ever see that movie before, Kiss the Girls? Uh, Ashley Sam Judd. In that one? No, it's Ashley Judd and uh, Morgan Freeman. Ah, oh, Morgan Freeman. Carrie yeah, Elways is actually in it, Speak of the Devil. I think I've seen it. Yeah, I was. I don't know why I was thinking Sam Jackson. It, it's the one where uh, they're like hunting down a killer, right? Isn't that the plot of the movie? Yeah, because jo- Ashley Judd gets captured by this serial killer, and then she escapes, and she like aids Morgan Freeman. Because it's, it's all about Morgan Freeman's character. He's, he's Alex Cross, and, and that's where because um, it was a character that was in this, and then he was in Along Came a Spider, and then he was. Uh, what the hell was his name? Um, Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry played him in the the, the titular. It's like ten years ago, I think. I think that movie came out. Alex Cross. I never saw that one. I've just seen Kiss the Girls and Along Came a Spider. So, I actually yeah. like Along Came a Spider. Michael Wincott's the villain. Oh, until the twist occurs. But yeah, the um, the, the and a very very young Anton Yelchin is also in that movie. Laying on his authentic Russian accent. I remember that much, too. So, I mean, his character's name is Dimitri. So. But, yeah, it's a good movie. You know, it's just no one really went out and seen it. I don't think... I think the problem with Along Came a Spider is no one realized that it was his, kind of a sequel to Kiss the Girls, you know. And when I say sequel, you know what I mean. It's, it's a kind of... It's a continuation of a character, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's in the same series. Yeah. So anyway, that's the Monica Potter. So she plays the wife here, Trisha, that he comes home to, and we hear that song, How Do I Live? Which is a <laughs> massive, dude, that was a massive hit back in 97. Fucking music video in this movie. <laughs> like, that's just I know. all I'm thinking of. Like, did they use, was there a music video with scenes from the movie? I, I forget about that. I feel like there was, but maybe it's just because of the way this movie's shot. That I'm thinking that. I'm not well, sure. We should first mention that there was actually two... This was a weird... Alright. I gotta back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. So How Do I Live was a song written by Diane Warren. And it was written for Leanne Rimes. But Trisha Yearwood ended up doing a version of the song for the Con Air soundtrack because they thought Leanne Rimes was too young. Because I think, because back at the time, I think Leanne Rimes was like, she was very young when she first became a, you know, a, a singer. She was like, dude, I, I don't know. It's, it's She was born in 82. So she was like 17 at the time-ish, 16, 17. So they wanted someone more, you know, mature, someone with a bigger name, I guess, in country. Because Trisha Yearwood is, you know, Trisha Yearwood. You know, you don't have to be a country fan to know who that, you know, singer is. And they used her instead. That's why when the that that's why when that song was a hit. And they both sound identical. I can't tell them apart. I really can't. And because when the song came out 25 years ago, 
both of them were submitted to radio. So you never knew which one you were going to hear. It was nuts. So in this film, we're getting the Trish Yearwood version. And yeah. And it was big. It was a big song. And um, so big, it was nominated for Best Original Song at the Academy Awards. And uh, a Razzie for Worst Original Song. <laughs> it didn't win either, but still, that's a fun fact. Um, and then Kevin Gage, or Wayne Grove himself, steps up to Cameron and interferes with their little reunion that they're having because he <laughs> wants to get with Trisha. Fucking Wayne Grow. Wayne Grow and his two lackeys challenge Poe outside to a fight in the rain. This is so fucking ridiculous. Like yeah, watching we're gonna, this. We're gonna talk about this. Hang on a second. And it ends with Cameron killing him, you know, in self defense. So like the fact they even get into the fight is like ridiculous. Like nothing even happens. Like he comes and hits on him. Poe gets pissed a little bit, doesn't fight, even say anything. This just stands there. Never made sense to me because it appears to me that this was just cut. Like, they filmed a lot more than what we were, you know, we see in the final cut here. I just feel like this was a hack job because it's just like awkward punch, swing, duck, clobs him in the face of his palm and, like, looks like he, like, knocks his nose back into his skull and that's how he kills him or something. Because you just see him knock his hand up and then you see his blood around his nose and him just go, oh, and then, like, you just see him go, Trisha! My <laughs> guess would be is they didn't want him to make it look at too brutal because, like, if it looks like Nick Cage is just fucking pummeling the guy and he dies, like, then it's hard to feel sympathy, I guess. Whereas if he just does one, like, fluke punch or hit to the nose, you know, I guess we're supposed to feel oh, sorry, you know. I don't like think we're going for sympathy here. He was just defending his wife. Yeah, Dude. I mean, I don't think he meant to kill him. I, I think no. the intention was he just hit him in the nose. and That's what he ends up getting locked up for. Yeah, but the fact that they even got into the fight, because, like, literally this guy... Oh, like, yeah. So it's funny, because Poe has been gone all this fucking time in the military, so this guy chooses tonight to hit on his wife. It's a stereotypical southern drunk redneck who thinks that he can get with a woman, and he's got, you know, that liquid courage in him. And he got his boys, because, you know, they've always got to come with, like, a flock behind them in these yeah. films. And, you know, Cameron Poe here, he's fucking trained for deadly force. And he, unfortunately, has to use that. Because we even make a point for her to make, to say things like, you know. And, and the two minutes we see these two reunite, we learn a lot. Because she makes the comment, like, about him being the old self and how he's changed and this, that, and the third. And it's like, we kind of, like, tinker around the idea that he used to be, like, a, a physical asshole or something or whatever. Yeah. And and then he has to use these, you know, these these these, these hands, I guess. He has, they have to come out during this fight. And so then we cut to uh, the great John Deal from the Kirstie Alley, John Larroquette hit comedy Madhouse. And he tells him to admit to the crime and that he'll only (laughs) serve a few years. Then we cut to the actual sentence and he's given seven to ten years because he's a deadly weapon with his military skills. And because of that, he's not subject to the same law as other people. Admit the facts and her plea bargain. I will not plead guilty. You could get ten years. Admit to it. You get four. Serve maybe a year. Cameron Poe, 
You have pleaded guilty to manslaughter in the first degree. With your military skills, you are a deadly weapon and are not subject to the same laws as other people that are provoked because you can respond with deadly force. It is the order of this court that you be remanded to a federal penitentiary where you shall remain incarcerated for a term not less than seven to ten years. What? I've never, I've never I, what, understood that. If I judge? kill somebody with if I kill somebody with my hands, I'm a deadly weapon because I fucking killed the guy. Like anybody who kills anybody with their hands is a deadly weapon. Exactly. So what the fuck kind of sense? And also, if he's in the military, he would be getting court-martialed. He wouldn't be in a civilian um, courtroom. He would be in the military That's a good room. point. That is a very good point that not enough people talk about. You are very right, sir. Yeah, it's just something I noticed watching again. I was like, wouldn't he be in the... It's a minor thing, like... But, yeah, he would be in the military courtroom getting court-martialed. Yeah. Something tells me, like, this... Well, besides the obvious fact that... I don't know. The, the, a lot of things would not be occurring. More on that later on. So, let's run through Poe's time away here, based on the hair length of this guy. So, his hair is short and combed back when he's sentenced. Then his hair suddenly grows a few inches and is shaggy when he's entering his jail cell for the first time. When he starts writing to his wife, his hair's down to his shoulder. Same length when he starts giving Baby O those pink cupcake things. I know, which is kind of fucked up when you think about it, because Baby O is fucking diabetic, and Poe's giving him fucking sugar. Oh, Ain't God. that a bitch? I never thought about that. Damn, you're right. So, uh, <laughs> his hair stays the same length while he's going back and forth with his daughter, and when he's starting to take up Spanish randomly. Uh, his hair's a little longer when he's telling his daughter that school's the most important thing for her. Then we get the trademark Poe length as he's reading from his daughter saying that her daddy's coming home on July 14th. As well as that weird, sudden, ah, I'm going home, son, cry he does <laughs> to baby O. It just, he just drops the baby O's shoulders and he's like, ah. Baby O's like, God damn, this motherfucker just randomly screaming in my ear. <laughs> Fuck, man. It's a Nick Cage. I also love. No, what's up? No, I was, I was just going to say, I love the fact that this whole uh, montage, too, is a chance for Cage to show off his body. Because uh, for anybody who doesn't know, in the 90s, uh, Cage took any opportunity to show off his fucking ripped. Uh, oh, Cage yeah. body back he, then. So. He wanted people to know that he was legit, you know? So uh, Nick Cage helped shape the character of Cameron Poe. Poe wasn't a really well, wasn't a very real person when he saw the script. So he decided that he had to have a special forces guy. He had to be a, he had to have been a special forces guy. So it would be a believable. So I'm sorry, I'm fucking this whole thing all up. So it would be believable that he would, could fight and kill so easily. It was also Cage's idea to make him from Alabama. He also got one of his guards who were... He also got one of the guards who were captured by the cons to be changed to a woman character. This gave the threat of rape, so it gives Poe a reason to stay on the plane and emphasize Poe's southern roots because southern men have a strong sense of chivalry when it comes to women. I mean, I can see that, I guess. I can see where he's going if this is true. Um... I mean, I, I pulled it from a legit source, so it's got to be true. And yeah, I, I've got to say, like, definitely sense that. Um, I mean, I good on him for going for that route because, like, he's right. I mean, I, I, I hate to 
stereotype people and shit, but Southern people do have a thing of chivalry, and they're all about manners and being polite. Even up here in the Northeast, we see it from people with Southern accents all the time. Ma'am, shit like that, you know? They're very prompt. So, no comment, Corey? Just (laughs) nothing to say, don't give a shit about Uh, that? I think, I'm just, yeah, I think it's horseshit. I mean, I think people (laughs) uh, from everywhere are chivalrous. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm if not you're saying like they're not. Yorker. I'm not okay. I didn't mean like no one else's, it's just them. I just think that they have a way of showing it, or maybe yeah. I'm just, I don't know. I would say the South in general, people are more laid back and friendly, so I agree with that. I don't know if necessarily him being from the South would really stop any other guy who's a halfway decent guy from trying to stop the female guard from being raped. I don't know. So you're not, <laughs> I feel like so you're, any decent guy from anywhere would probably try to stop that. But, I got you, know. you. I got you. So you're not buying into that one, and that's okay. That's all right. No, I just think he wanted to do the fucking accent the whole movie personally. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think of the accent, honestly? Like, honest to God answer, what do you, what do you think of it? It's not good, but it's bad in the best possible way. Like, it's entertaining. Um, you know, because there's some accents where it's just fucking distracting, where you're, like, watching and you're like, I don't right. buy this shit for a second. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. And there's accents where you can't even fucking tell the person, like, you know, like Andrew Lincoln and fucking Walking Dead. Like, you can't even tell that he's English, you know? Like, uh, there's those type of accents. And then there's fucking Nick Cage's accent in this where... It's definitely fake, but it's good enough where it's somewhat believable in spots, but it's also fucking Nick Cage. So it's very entertaining. Like, I I just enjoy listening to him talk. And I especially like in this movie because he talks a lot of shit, like, out loud that nobody would really say. Like, you would probably think it maybe, but you wouldn't say it. But he says it because so he can get the zingers and one-liners in. And I fucking appreciate every time. So I really enjoy Nick Cage, especially... With the fucking wig on and like his fucking hair blows even when he's indoors. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. he's like indoors and his fucking hair is blowing in the wind. So, yeah, I appreciate all that shit. I love it's, that. It's accent. like he's got a mini fin attached to him in every shot. <laughs> Pretty much. No, I think his accent's believable for 75 to 80% of the film. I think the parts where it focuses on him to get those like fucking one-liners like you were saying, I think those are the parts where it really, it stands out that he's putting on an accent. Yeah. So, but for the most part, I think it's good. So, um, so Poe and baby O are flying to Alabama on a Fairchild C one, two, three provider known as the jailbird, a converted J pads, plane, prison plane, transport plane, um, J pads, prison transport plane, uh, here we're also introduced to John Cusack's U.S. Marshal Vince Larkin, Cole Meany's agent Duncan Malloy, along with Malloy's DEA insider Sims. Prior to board, there's a tiff about Sims bringing a gun on board. Malloy points it on him anyway as he's checking this for his uh, little cuffs himself. Or checking yeah, his, what uh, could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. So Cusack, got to talk about this first and foremost because I feel that over the last handful of years of people hearing about this more and more it's become a more of a thing uh he considers this to be his worst movie he fucking hates this movie he think he hated the time he considers this movie his worst movie yes has he seen his fucking movies he's recently dude he thinks that this is his worst fucking movie um 
He hated the time that he spent working on it. So much <laughs> that he barely remembers it. Um, Cusack only did it because of the money and to use it as leverage in order to make his own indie passion projects. Um, yeah. yeah. There's like a reason why he's wearing sandals in this movie and shit. Did you notice that? It took me a while to notice it. He's wearing now, sandals in this movie. Now, I didn't notice that, but I, I, it doesn't surprise me the fact that he doesn't like the film. But, I mean, come he on. He gives a hell of a performance. Keith. For someone who hates this movie so much, he really does give it a good job, I think. No, and that's not me. Off. I'm not being biased. I know people, some people that know me listening are probably like laughing right now because I'm talking about Cusack and a high praise. But no, I really do like legitimately unbiasedly think that he's given a pretty good performance, especially for someone who claims to, for you know to to be their last or whatever. Yeah, no, I I like him in this film. I mean, he's good as like the likable, smart, um, you know, agent like who's good at his job, like who's actually fucking paying attention, <laughs> you know, throughout the film. So yeah, I like yeah. him in the film. Uh, I I'm just saying, knowing Cusack, like through interviews and what I've read, it doesn't surprise me that he wouldn't like this film. Cause this is definitely at a place for him, at least back then. Nowadays, I think he'll fucking do whatever as long as you pay him. But uh, back then, you know, that's so, he didn't do these. I, I don't even want to really talk about John Cusack of today because it just, it makes me sad. It, it breaks my fucking heart. It really does. Jesus. I think the worst thing that happened, the worst thing that could have ever happened to that man well, the worst thing that actually did happen to him is that he discovered Twitter. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. All right, so anyway, um, oh, quick question. Why are Poe and BBO aboard this plane? Poe's going home. He has no business being on this flight. Baby yeah, O, he's just getting transported to another, like, I, he's not, I feel like, there should the, I, I, everyone on this plane I feel like should be like in the same class or division or whatever you call it like maximum security ain't no way baby O and fucking power coming from maximum security are they unless I, I missed something I was gonna say so yeah, why yeah. The, the, why are they on this plane then although you might think they're in maximum security because earlier during the montage you see post sleeping during a fucking hellish riot <laughs> that was pretty funny um, yeah. but no, I, I don't buy that they would be on the plane <clears throat> other than the fact that we need a movie. So True. Know, they're on the plane. Uh, anyway, uh, then we get our prisoner introductions narrated sarcastically by Cusack. Yeah. I love this whole introduction. I think it's great. Like, uh, you get the picture and the explanation and yeah, you get Cusack's smart ass, uh, comments. Uh, yeah, this whole introduction I think is great. I love the whole scene. And then it's a, it's, getting it's, loaded on the plane. It's roll call, baby. We got Cyrus the Virus, played by John Malkovich. We got Nick Chinlin's Billy Bedlam. We got Danny Trejo's Johnny 23. It'd be Johnny 600 if they knew the truth. Ving <laughs> Rames, Diamond Dog, and Dave Chappelle's Pinball, to name a few. Fun fact about Cyrus the Virus, John Isaacs interviewed or uh, revealed that he had a story or an awkward story, he claims, uh, during his interview. So he actually auditioned to be uh, Cyrus. And uh, something that involved uh, a scene that he had to perform for the the, the tryout, whatever you want to call it, uh, with a handgun. 
So he said he was going to use a pencil as a prop, but when the, the then the uh, camera assistant offered him a real gun that he had tucked under his shirt in his belt. So Isaacs thought, you know, that it was bullshit, and then he saw it up close, and he's like, he said his voice shot up three octaves, and he went Jerry Lewis style, saying, "Oh my God, it's a real gun." And then uh, director Simon West was a uh, wide-eyed. It was as wide-eyed as he was, and he said he'd been working with the guy for a while as an assistant, and like had no idea he had a gun the whole time. So, so yeah, the the, the whole thing about all that is John I- Jason Isaacs, who uh, had a minor role in Armageddon uh, the following year, and I think he was no, he wasn't in The Rock. He was in. He's been in a bunch of stuff. I know he was in the original Resident Evil movie. And uh, I don't know. I'm missing out on a lot of movies. I can't think at the top of my head what he's been in. But Jason Isaacs, he's a big name star, especially nowadays. Of course, he's been in a bunch of Harry Potter movies. Um, but yeah, he always played Cyrus the Virus, but didn't get it. Also auditioning for the role were Willem Dafoe and Mickey Rourke. During Mickey Rourke's audition, he improvised by producing a razor-sharp belly knife, both terrifying and impressing the director. Though suitably impressed, they decided to cast Malkovich instead, obviously. Um, and then, after the movie, the plane takes off, and we see Cyrus and Diamond Dog, Ming Rings, and John Malkovich. They're pulling these like thin pins from their hands. They successfully take take them to pick apart their locks and uh pinball's doing his part he's regurgitating a fucking match like little balloon with a match and fluid like like kerosene which he uses to engulf the indian passenger next to him like that little bit of fluid can create a fire that big (laughs) And I like the fact that, like, he chokes all this out and gets all this shit out and, like, nobody notices right. on this plane. Like, I mean, Poe sees it. I guess Poe's probably kicking himself for not fucking saying anything because he sees it happening, but nobody else, like, even notices it. I'm like, this motherfucker's, like, choking up a hairball. Like, how can you not notice that shit? I don't know. I just thought that was a ridiculous amount of fire that that little, little speckle produced. Anyway... Maybe I'm wrong, because it was kerosene. Maybe I'm right. So Pinball, throwing all this mayhem, releases Cyrus and the others. The guards try maintaining control, but they're overpowered. Then the gun from the lockbox is retrieved by Cyrus after the uh, passenger, or the, uh, yeah, the, the passenger pilot or whatever. Co-pilot. That's the word I'm looking for. Passenger Re- pilot? Retrieves what it. What kind of shit is that? <laughs> Shut up. Retrieves the gun and goes out and instantly gets shot with it. So he has the gun. And then he orders the pilot to tell the control uh, tower that everything's fine, not to be alarmed. Cyrus is taking over the plane. Welcome to Con Air. Yeah, and I just got to say, I love Malkovich's Cyrus in this. Although Defoe would have uh, probably been fucking great, too. He would have been a good Cyrus, definitely. Yeah, Defoe definitely uh, would fit in there well. But yeah, I love Malkovich in this. He, uh, you know, Malkovich always is fucking sounds like Malkovich, but I do appreciate like he he can play like either tough or funny. Like he has a good range, even though he fucking sounds exactly the same and everything no matter what. But um, yeah, I appreciate him in this. I, I I'm a huge fan of Cyrus the virus. I think he's a good villain. 
So then Angela Featherstone shows up to play this character, Jenny, who may or may not be involved with Larkin. So Angela Featherstone, she went on uh, to play Adam Sandler's would-be wife in The Wedding Singer. She's also in a bunch of um, indie stuff. I also remember her in um, Army of Darkness. She was the girl in the S-Mart at the end of the movie. Um right as the end credits roll in the theatrical cut. But um she's just in this movie, honestly. Like I, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't understand it. I just know who she is from a bit from a you know, a handful of roles here and there. Um so yeah, I'm not sure if she's supposed to be involved with Cusack or not. There's kind of some flirting going on with these two, so I don't know. So they uh they're scheduled to stop the plane. It's scheduled to stop at Carson City to drop off six passengers, some of who are dead now. They're three white guys short. Sim suddenly reveals himself and uses pinball as a human shield. Cyrus eventually gets the upper hand and then kills him. Everybody freeze! Oh, no, 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 Cyrus, no, no! Get that ass out of here right now! Within a second. Right now! Keep cool, boss. Shut up. Who the fuck are you? Yeah, that's who the fuck I am. Now, you were saying? Well, that's very clever, Cyrus. So you think I give a shit about that little bitch guard you have there right now? Well, maybe you didn't hear what I said. I'm DEA, you know what the fuck that means? You're the most crooked nigga on this planet. Shut up. You're DEA. What are you doing on this flight? Won't they fly you boys commercially? Don't push me, Cyrus, man. I swear to God, I'll blow away your little boyfriend right now. You know, the next time you choose a human shield, you're better off not picking a two-bit Negro crackhead. Hey! Shut up. Shoot him. Quiet, sweetheart. I think you should just stop. Stay back, man. Stay back! Just stop right before somebody gets killed. Back! All right, cowboy, I'm back. Stay back! You know you're in a situation you can't control, right? I can't control it? I can't control it? You're a dead man. Shut the fuck up! I know, and the, the fucking agent is so dumb. Like, oh, fuck why it. would another yeah. inmate care if you took an inmate as a fucking human shield like they're inmates like they're not well he even brothers. calls him out on it he's like you think i'm gonna give a shit what you do with him he's like whatever however whatever i think he calls him like him. a two-bit crackhead negro or something like that yeah, which yeah. It, like it obviously it's just an insult but Right. Like, come on, use your brain, Mr. Secret Agent Man. Like, of course, the <laughs> inmates aren't going to care about each other. Come on. He just signed up, signed off on his own funeral as soon as he revealed himself. Like, come on, man. Why did you do that? So, yeah, he gets killed. And, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, it sucks. So, Cyrus, you know, Poe tries to intervene. That's right. And ends up instead making friends with Cyrus after all this hoo-hua. So Larkin and a couple of bumbling guards are seen checking out Cyrus's old prison cell in this next scene. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a bunch of information on the plane and some letters in Spanish. And then he's like trying to reveal or he's trying to read off what it says. Cause he's like, there's this photo of the Last Supper with like eye with like heads or whatever holes cut out. And he's like going over different letters with it. 
and he's trying to retrieve what it means or translate it. And he's like, meet cars, meet cars, meet cars. <laughs> <laughs> and a guy, Fucking meet cars. Yeah, he, he goes to write or leave or take a car or something. He tells the guards not to touch anything, and they end up fucking... As soon as he leaves the room, they open up a box, and boom. It's fucking explosion. Which, um, this piece of shard yeah, alum is decapitates Larkin. Met car. Me, etc. etc. Meet. Except from the arson. Meet cars. Meet cars. Meet cars. Meet cars. Meet cars. Meet cars where. Carson. City. God, uh, stay here. Don't touch anything. Hey, what are you doing? Just leave it alone. I told you not to touch anything. Fucking huge explosion, and I'm like... How does this Cyrus the Virus guy like in this maximum security prison? Because like, yeah, in the lower security, you can have some shit like you can have some personal belongings. But in like the hardcore maximum security, like he's got a fucking shit to make like a fucking bomb with mixing liquids and fucking paper mache bricks. Like, what the fuck? Like, uh, come on. Like, yes, yeah, so I think they took it a little too far. Like you could have made the bomb like at least something more homemade looking. I mean, Jesus Christ. Yeah, suddenly he's Jeremy Irons in Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> That's what it fucking looks like. I feel like they stole that shit from Die Hard with a right. Vengeance. Oh, man. So, Poe tells Cyrus that he's got 15 years left and wants to stay when he and a bunch of other white guards and prisoners are being prepped for transport in the massive sandstorm that's happening in Carson City. Well, yeah, he's about to get off, but then he realizes he's going to be, his mouth is going to be gagged, so he can't alert everybody. So then he decides to stay on like a dumbass instead of just getting off anyway and alerting them 20 minutes later or whatever. (laughs) Exactly. So he instead, he like puts like this tape to one of the the head guard. It puts like tapes it to his chest and shit. So when he tries to say something in the van later on as they're taking off. He gets like he gets like knocked in the chest with the fucking the the brunt the with, with, guard. His, the, with his shotgun or whatever. No, the guard like hits him and it falls out. The like, look on the guard's face yeah. is like I, I'm just thinking in his head. The guy's like he's a robot. Oh, like, what? He just has a fucking dumb look on his face. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a prisoner exchange, of course. Then we enter MC Ganey's Swamp Thing. Ren- oh, I love MC Gady. He's fucking too. awesome in this movie. Anything I love he's him in this. He's in a, he's fucking a, uh, Club Dread. Breakdown. I love him. Breakdown. Yeah. Uh, he's awesome. Renoli's Sally Can't Dance and Steve Buscemi's Garland Green, a.k.a. the Marietta Mangler. So, MC Gainey, he claims that Swamp Thing is his favorite character that he's played, and I believe it. I think this is the film oh, he's that he's most. Fun. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Especially at the end when he fucking throws on that that helmet, like it's great. Yeah. I love his character Swamp Thing. Um, and Garland Green originally Tim Roth was the first choice, but he turned it down. Eh, Tim Roth would have been good, but I think Buscemi was fucking a stroke of genius, just because. Yeah. 
Which I mean, this is the kind of it's it's an awkward role, and this is perfect. Now, whether or not it was written to be awkward that way, or whether that was just Buscemi, you know, bringing the awkwardness to the table, who knows? That remains to be seen. So, uh, Pinball hides the tracker in a small tourist plane while they're while they're parked, and nearly gets caught by this young female flight instructor. He starts flirting with her and shit. Uh, meanwhile, the authorities discover the guards are cons. Like we said, all hell breaks loose. They manage to fly away in con air. Pinball ends up getting picked off. <laughs> he, look, to this day, I do not understand what happens. He's running by the plane, and then he just suddenly goes, Wah! and that's it. I think he gets and then he's suddenly caught up. in the wheel. Like, How did the wheel catch him? Like, The wheel don't have like hooks and shit. It's a wheel. How do you get caught know. in a wheel? I, I just took it as he tripped and fell into it or something. But I do appreciate the fact that the fucking uh, uh, Native American guy that got lit on fire gets fucking some uh, yeah because he's laughing. On him he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Whoa! <laughs> it was pretty fucking funny. I like the look on the Native yeah. American guy's face. Yeah, the last laugh, funny. literally. Um. Yeah. So the tourist plane that we mentioned with the transponder. It's being followed by the authorities instead of them tracking Conair. Malloy's informed of Sim's death and gets into a heated fight with Larkin over it. And then we cut back to Larkin. Um, he tries talking to Cyrus over the radio, but it doesn't go over very well at all. Oh, nothing makes me sadder than the agent lost his bladder on the airplane. Yeah, you could tell Malkovich was uh, having some fun there. <laughs> Although I know, like, I don't know if you read this, but I heard, like, he had issues with the script because they kept, like, changing shit during shooting. Who, Cusack? Um, or not Cusack, Malkovich. Malkovich, yes, I did read that. You're right. Yeah, he he had issues, but you can tell he was just, like, chewing up the scenery with this. He was role, being a professional. Like yeah, I, I, I appreciate it. I like his little song. He was in Dangerous Liaisons. He's a true professional. He can do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Malloy is going to shoot the plane down against Larkin's orders. That's another thing about this movie is that like the dynamic between Cole Meany and John Cusack and their their characters like pit against each other. Like Every scene they're in together, like it never goes over well. They're always seen fighting. Like... Malloy is like an over-the-top idiot, but like too over-the-top. The point that like, I'm getting, yeah, but the point that I'm getting at is the fact that like as much as these two fight throughout the movie, like I always enjoy it. Like I never get tired of it. Like I don't know. That's like another thing about this movie that I like is like it's able to do stupid shit like that. Like I should be sick to death of seeing the like the third or fourth scene after that, seeing them fight. Like I should uh, no. I should hate this movie for that reason, but I don't. There's something weird about it. Well, like, I enjoy seeing these two fight because, like, it's stupid shit, petty stuff, you know? No, they, it is entertaining, though. I love Call Meany. Like, I just, when they're arguing, I just, like, some of the lines, he's like, where is he? Is he fucking, um, what's he saying? Recycling his sandals or some yeah, shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, where's Larkin? Like, <laughs> I just love some of the shit he says. It's just so stupid. Uh, yeah. He's so great in the role, too. So so they realize they're dragging weight and discover Pinball's corpse in the end of the port, whatever it's called. Diamond Dog has, has uh, Poe help him with it. So he does. 
but he secretly writes a message to Larkin on the t-shirt with a sharpie and then uh, sends him down. Pinball's flying body scene is what follows. <laughs> and like, <Fucking> so <laughs> we get this old guy fucking played by Don Davis, who's him and his wife. And like, he's talking about bird shit that hits and his wife is like, yeah, it's good luck. And like, he talks about like, after he gets the car clean, you go walk, you turn the car out and on the street and then bam, bird shit. And he goes to wipe it off, and then all of a sudden, boom, fucking Pinball's body falls and smashes. Oh, boy. You see that? See? Every time I get a wax, I get 10 feet from the car wash, and then pow, bird shit. Well, it's supposed to be good luck. Lights changed. Oh, damn. I don't know. I don't know me. I don't know physics. It was one of my lesser grading classes for me. But, like, shouldn't that body be liquefied from falling from that height and hitting that car from that distance? Oh, yeah. In that intensity and velocity? Like, I don't know. I don't feel like his body would be a, 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 would be in physical form. Let's just say, you know, like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it would be like, fucking liquefied but the first thing that was going through my head with the whole scene with the car is i was like oh yeah he was the fucking one of the managers in a league of their own that's the first thing i think of. Yeah, that's Don right Davis. that's right <laughs> um so larkin updates trisha and her daughter casey on everything larkin gets a call from the scene of pinball's fallen body oh this body's got your name written all over it so he then rushes out and takes Malloy's 67 Corvette with him since he can't acquire a plane. And back on the plane up, up in the sky, Betty Bedlam grows suspicious of Poe and confirms the suspicions when he goes down and reads his daughter's letter to him. And they <laughs> put the bunny back in the box. Yeah, they had this fight down there. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious watching under- them run at each yeah, other. Yeah, the charge. <laughs> They're trying to they're make like it look tough, and they fucking look like monkeys. They're like imitating little, yeah, monkeys and little people. They're imitating, like scoring, like mm. oh, 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 they get into it, and like it's just like it's like pushing each other and shit. And then I, this pipe suddenly spawns out of nowhere. <laughs> I just fucking see this whole thing now. They're like, uh, like one of the choreographers or something's like, you're gonna have this badass fight in the bottom of the plane. You guys are gonna charge at each other, fucking beat the shit out of each other. One of you's gonna choke the other, and then they're like, "Have you seen the crawl space?" And they're like, "All right, scrap that. We're gonna have you guys fucking waddle towards each other, <laughs> <laughs> fucking apes." And then a pipe's gonna pop out and kill Bedlam. <laughs> yeah, it's random broken pipe just bursts and then pops out the sharp end exposed. You know, conveniently, conveniently enough for Bedlam to get pushed back and into it, and then he just dies. Why couldn't you put the bunny back in the box? So yeah, why couldn't you just put the money back in the box? I don't know. I have no idea why. So then we get the Uncle Bob scenic tour plane scene where they're about to get shot down, but then they it's revealed that, no, they're not shooting it down because it's a fucking scenic tour. And they had the old lady in the, the passenger window waving to him. <laughs> that little scene. <laughs> uh, then the inmates plan to land at Lunar, Lunar Airfield. It's a abandoned desert airstrip. And there, 
the main guys there, the the main convicts, are going to transport with this inmate, um, Sandino, with his cartel in this private plane. Larkin arrives at Lerner first and discovers the bodies of the employees there, since the cartel may have already been there first, of course. So the jailbird is grounded at Lerner, quite literally, with no sign of a transport carrier. And Poe warns the others of Sandino's past, uh, his acts of deceit and betrayal, while Diamond Dog's preparing to kill the remaining guards, and thus Cyrus ordering the others to fuel up the plane and to get it ready for takeoff. Meanwhile, Salio, I'm sorry, Salio has Baby O and Sally's. Sally can't dance, finds a new dress, while Green encounters a little girl having a tea party, and for now, her fate is left ambiguous. Oh, God, I thought she was totally dead. Like, I really did. First time watching, watching this, this, yeah, definitely. Even watching it as a 13-year-old, I was like, ah, this is not easy. Not easy. So, And I just want to say before we move on, I love the when they first land, uh, the jailbird, and the little plane guy's trying to land, and he just gets out and approaches him and then fucking starts running into the <laughs> desert. Yes. Fucking hilarious. I love that guy. He just runs into the desert. And just keeps fucking running. Oh, man. So, yeah, Poe um, po finds the... He leaves to find Baby O a syringe to give him insulin. Instead, finds Larkin after he's about to be killed by Sandino's cartel. Poe informs Larkin about the situation and says that he's got a friend on board that he can't leave behind. And every, everyone else discovers Sandino planning on escaping to a private jet, which uh, Larkin sabotages. Grism, this is uh, uh, Grism is the last name of Cyrus, executes Sandino by igniting the plane's fuel. But, <laughs> ho, ho, but, but not before <laughs> delivering the motherfucker of all motherfucking one liners, Cy Anora. Cyrus, help me! Looks like you missed your connection. We were, we were coming to get you. Please. Sai Anara. No! You can tell the fucking writer made his name <laughs> Cyrus just to have that fucking shit in there. He's like Sai Anara. He Wait a minute. Like, his name's Cyrus. I'm gonna name this motherfucker Cyrus just so I can get this pun in midway through. <laughs> and he got it in. Oh man. Sai Anora. <laughs> Can you imagine? I just imagine like Cyrus does that shit all the time. Someone's like, die. And he's like, Arama or some yeah. shit like that. Like he just likes to finish fucking words. It's just so stupid, but so fucking like, hilarious. I can see like Scott Rosenberg seeing this at the premiere, and when that line happens, he pats himself on the back. <laughs> like, yeah, we did it. <laughs> we got it in. Yeah, it's just so fucking cheesy. Like, I feel like I'm fucking, like, in America's fucking Dairyland in Wisconsin with the amount of cheese in this fucking movie, but it's so funny and entertaining. So as the other inmates prepare to plane, by fucking literally pulling it out with the uh, out of a ditch using ropes, like, okay. Chinese 23 spots a National Guard convoy approaching and gives the alarm. The inmates find a cachet fully loaded shotguns and rifles and the cargo hold. And, and real quick, yeah. did you see when they're pulling the plane out, fucking Diamond Dog's like whipping a guy. Yeah. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah, I did. I definitely did. <laughs> whipping a guy. And they prepare an ambush. Johnny 23 uh, attempts to rape the uh, guard bishop. 
played by we haven't played, talked about her yet. Rachel Ticketon from uh, Del Recall, Fallen Down, Man on Fire, oh, to yeah. name a few. Yeah, she's been in a lot of shit. Yeah, she's great. I always used to get her mixed up with Mercedes Rule, another actress of uh, Latina. Back in the early '90s, that was uh pretty big. Um, I can see that. Yeah, Mercedes Rule was actually um the mother in Last Action Hero. But yeah, she's saved by Poe, who ends up handcuffing Johnny Twenty Three, cuffing him up, and uh, yeah, then we get the National Guard arriving and the inmates launching an assault, resulting in a number of casualties. I love when they're planning the assault, and the one guy's like, "What's that? That's a rock. That is a rock. Like, yeah. over. Like, that's a pretty good line. I like that. The can and all that shit. And he's like, "What's that? Yeah. That is a rock." So um, yeah, they use a. Uh, the Larkin uses the bulldozer as a makeshift shield and saves the other fucking wounded passenger, or not passengers, uh, 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 troops. Yeah, I just have to address this. They're in the middle of a fucking flat desert. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think the guys could have just went around. Like, <laughs> I know they make it so that like there's a fence and the junkyard. True. True. But then other shots, it's like fucking wide open plains. I'm like, they could have just like went a fucking round. Like, it's so silly, but. I, they needed, I guess, they needed to have something like that for the inmates to get an upper hand. And I mean, it's entertaining, but when you stop and think about it for any portion of time, it makes no fucking sense. Oh man! So yeah, as um, National Guard arrives, the inmates launch an assault. Like I said, uh, let me see. Let me go back to where I was. The makeshift shield. It is kind of. It is kind of funny. Like, so you have Larkin, like. He gets in the car and fucking shields the um, soldiers. And then you have Poe, who's like the hero. Like he's, you see all these badass had, explosions. You see him running. He tries and to he's anchor just like, it. fuck these motherfuckers. Like you see a stack of fucking dead soldiers behind him. Yeah. He's just fucking running. Like I know he's there for the needle, but damn, he sure as hell ain't trying to help him right he here. Tries, he's just fucking running. He tries to anchor the plane by attaching the the, the Chevy, the, uh, um, what's his face? Uh, Malloy, his Corvette. He t- no, he attaches it to a pole and then it breaks and then catches the Chevy. That's okay. That's right. That's right. That's right. My oh, my apologies. So yeah, the, well, the plane ends up going with this fucking car attached to the back, <laughs> swinging around. Set, I love that shit. Me too. It's a great visual. Set the sweet home Alabama, and uh, everyone's partying and having fun. But then we see the little girl from earlier arriving, so she can wave the plane goodbye, yeah. revealing like, like yes, yeah, everybody. Just sighs and relief right oh, there. Oh, yeah. So, Poe's identity is revealed when Diamond Dog shares Casey's letter and Bedlam's body's found nearby. Like, after he killed Billy Bedlam, did he just think that, you know, hands are clean, this is going to be fine? Like, we got a dead body down here now. Like, what the fuck? So, yeah, uh,. Th- Cyrus then shoots Baby O after he tries saying that he alerted authorities and is about to execute them. He's like, you, I'm supposed to believe that you who've been dying this whole time, you know, alerted the authorities and yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, motherfucker, it was me. And he shoots him. He's like, how you like that? And he shoots him and he's like, yeah, I forgot what he says after he shoots him. But he yells, no, he yells uh, something to him. Baby O is like, yeah, I wasn't dying the whole time. I tricked you. That's clever. And then fucking... Yeah, that's right. shoots him and that's he's like, clever. no, that's clever. That's right. And I'm like, 
That's a fucking terrible line. It is. is so, it is. That's like a fucking kid. That's like when fucking Tommy boys. I know to you are, Richard. but what am I, baby? It's <laughs> like Tommy from fucking Tommy Boy and Richard talking yeah, to each other. Yeah. Like, I know you're you're a jerk. Like, it's just <laughs> fucking stupid. Uh, yeah, so he shoots him, and then Larkin and Malloy arrive in their attack helicopters, because he's about to shoot the bunny, that's right, he's like, one more word and the bunny gets it. My dad is coming home on July 14th! My birthday is July 14th! I'm gonna see my daddy for the first time ever on July 14th! Make a move and the bunny gets it. Larkin and Malloy pops up in the uh the chopper damaging the fuel the fuel tank from the jailbird poe suddenly gets this urge to approach the cockpit going through various inmates and even knows how's a fucking <laughs> gunshot to the arm as he makes it i was just waiting to hear him like say surprise i didn't think of this before <laughs> like <laughs> he doesn't like, even he flinch he no sells it and then he fucking goes in <laughs> And uh, confirms that he's got a hold of the plane, prevents it from being shot down. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, Larkin orders the plane to land uh, at the McCarran International. Swamp Thing is forced to land it uh, as Buscemi sings. He's got the whole world in his hands, causing mass <laughs> destruction. John, I love, uh, this whole This whole no- sequence is fucking nuts, dude. It is. I love when Pushevi starts singing and then the random extra guy is like, stop singing, yeah. you freak. We're going to yeah. fucking die. Like, I just <laughs> I just love the way that guy looks and says it. It's, uh, it's funny as shit. So they filmed this at the legendary Sands Hotel immediately prior to its demolition in late 96 when the uh, production team heard about the city's intentions to, to raise the historic landmark. They immediately scheduled a multi-camera setup to take advantage of the, the rare event. Which is what you see in the film. Uh, they actually did this uh, with what was left, like I said. Um, oh yeah, this also kills Johnny Twenty Three after you know authorities and shit come after it, it lands in the strip next to the well, clips the uh, the guitar from the Hard Rock. But then we get the uh, the whole uh, strip landing into the casino and shit and everyone wins the fucking jackpot in the slot machine that whole gimmick yeah. that's tiresome so yeah um and then the authorities come and they see them like go to remove john it's the whole camera trick with his arm still attached to the handcuffs from earlier but then his body you know because he's armless get it so um meanwhile um Cyrus, Diamond Dog, Swamp Thing, they all escape on this fire truck. And Poe and Larkin see it. And they take off on police bikes. <laughs> fucking police bikes. I just love it. They're yeah. just like, take off. Like, you have badass fucking Poe, Nick Cage, and then you have uh, Cusack <laughs> as Larkin, who, like, I didn't mention this before, but just, like, Cusack looks like he's, like, an 18-year-old kid that bought his first suit in this movie. Like, the clothes he wears are, like, a little too loose, and it doesn't quite fit him, and he just looks like like an intern that just bought a uh, dress shirt for the first time. It is kind of funny watching him on a bike with that shit. Yeah. And then, um... I mean, yeah, it just ends with we got the full... But, um, so... 
refresh my memory. I even though I just watched the film yesterday. We got Diamond Dog dies first, right? He gets what's what happens to him? He get, uh, he gets killed in the explosion because there's a crash. Yeah, he gets killed in the explosion, and then I remember uh, Malkovich gets um Mal- like well, Malkovich, the fucking pole well, he's through his leg. Yeah, because he, uh, he's trying to attack uh, um, Poe, who's hanging on the, on the back of the ladder on the truck, and then he grabs the, the 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 pole or the hook pole that he's trying to attack him with, breaks it, and then stabs him through the actual ankle, and then he ends up in the end, like, getting his head crushed by this conveyor yeah, belt. They, they crash because, uh, yeah, they crash he and gets, then he gets flung because he's, on, he into gets this handcuffed, belt. He gets handcuffed to the ladder and they push the ladder up and then it crashes through this walkway or whatever, which throws his body to this construction site that just conveniently happens to be right next to the area and this, like, rock-crushing me- mechanism, he, like, his head gets put into it. And he gets crushed and killed that way. Um, what happens to Swamp Thing again? Because he just gets kind of like flooded out of, of the driving area. Yeah, I don't exactly remember Swamp Thing. I just remember Diamond Dog because he's Diamond Dog's like in the back right. and it fucking blows up. Yeah, and then Cyrus. I don't remember Swamp Thing, which is funny. Yeah. He's like one of my favorite characters, right. but same. It's weird. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't pop out to me. Like I said, I haven't seen this in probably like two months, so. Uh, that doesn't stick out, but yeah, I don't remember how he died. I know he's dead, but I, right. don't, I don't remember how he dies. So Poe and Larkin then, after all this, form a friendship before the former meets his daughter for the first time and gives her the bunny that he... <laughs> Fucking he, dirty he, ass the, Well, the bunny, bunny almost falls into a, a... You see it going down this like stream by the, in, in the, the gutter. <laughs> it's, and it's about to go like down, a, and then he grabs it at the nick of time, and... About to go down to Pennywise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, out, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as the surviving inmates are apprehended, the only one accounted, uh, unaccounted is Garland Green. And then kind of like right before the film cuts the credits, he uh, gets, you see him gambling at the casino and shit like that. It's only a matter of time before he gets uh, accosted. But will um, find him in a second. Exactly. <laughs> like, there's cameras oh, absolutely. everywhere. But I- it is a funny touch, though, because it seems like he just fucking wanders anywhere in the movie and he just goes wherever. And I should also mention we hear the fucking song, How Do I Live One More Time, before... Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, dude, that's it. We get uh, just uh, a bunch of scenes from the movie as we see the credits showing, you know, who played what character and all that. And after that, that's it. That's Connor from 1997 from director Simon West. All right, box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. All right, so Conair had its world premiere in Las Vegas on June 2nd, 1997, before being released to the masses on June 6th, 1997, from Touchstone Pictures. It had a theater count of 2,824. Opening weekend, it came in at number one with $24.1 million. Second weekend, it dropped all 35%, coming in second place with $15.6 million. Overall, it had a total gross of $224 million against a budget of $75 million. So yeah, all in all, it definitely made its money back and then some. Uh, definitely a box office success. Um, I, I can't really say 
I'm surprised there was never a sequel because the movie kind of came and went like a lot of films did at, at this time. Because um, like I feel like action films in Hollywood around this time were just you know coming out like just they were just putting them out left and right you know so there was no time to really stop and react you know what I mean so yeah that's my two cents on that and let's move on now to the critics corner and see what they had to say about the film. got a Rotten Tomatoes score of only 57% based off of 68 reviews with a critical consensus that says Con Air won't win any rewards for believability. Well, we know that. And all involved seem cheerful, cheerfully aware of it, making some of this blockbuster action outing's biggest flaws fairly easy to forgive. I agree with that 100%. Very forgivable film. Um... We don't often talk about the film's inconsistencies and, um, you know, unbelievable stuff, you know, the way we do other films that are, you know, granted, there's a lot more far-fetched films out there than this one. Um, yeah, I would say Face Off is definitely Face further Face Off than comes this to one. mind. But yeah, um, it's, it's for the most part, though, uh, definitely forgivable. That's 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 a good way of putting it. Anyway, it's got a meta score of 52 out of 100 based off of only 23 reviews and a cinema score of B+. Ebes gave the film 3 out of 4 stars, saying it moves smoothly and with visual style and verbal wit. The movie is essentially a series of quick setups, brisk dialogue, and elaborate action sequences. 100% on that. Janet Maslin from New York Times said all the principles normally work in films more interesting and human than this one, which gives Con Air a touch of the submersive and turns it into a big-budget lark. I don't think she was a big fan of the film. Um, James Bernardinelli was kind of in the middle, two out of four. Sitting through this film is like watching a dog running in circles chasing its tail. The amusement factor dies quickly as the situation becomes repetitive. Disagree respectively. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone decried the flip hip and ultimately depressing pandering present in the treatment. He said, they're the worst of the worst, so the so's the movie. Yikes. Tom McCarthy, sorry, Todd McCarthy from Variety said, Rosenberg's sarcastic tough guy dialogue is full of lean and mean one-liners and the sur- super- sur- superbly cast actors know how to milk them for all they're worth. Exactly. Finally, Andrew Johnston from Time Out New York said, Leaving the Rock last summer, I thought it seemed physically impossible for a more over-the-top action movie to be made. That was pretty short-sighted of me since it was only a matter of time until Jerry Prockheimer topped himself as he does with the wildly entertaining Con Air. Nice. So yeah, um, pretty in the middle for all critics, as you'd expect from a movie this caliber. But um, I kind of go back to the whole uh, forgivable thing because, again, it's it's dumb fun, but there's a lot more unbelievable films out there that get just as much, if more, praise than this does. So kind of, I hate the fact that I'm saying this because people are probably like, you're crazy, but in a weird sense, this is kind of an underrated movie. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I... 
I think for a 90s action film, I mean, I think it's great. Yeah. I Does it make a lot of sense? Like, is there a lot of logic holes and, you know, stretch credibility? Of course. But I think the characters and just the action and some of the one-liners far outweigh that. I mean, We turn a blind eye any, to it. Yeah, just about any action movie stretches credibility. If it didn't, it would just be like a documentary. Right. Like, I mean, it, you know, like. Um, pretty much any action movie does that. It's just when the good things don't outweigh the bad that you start to notice more of that stuff. You know, when you're intrigued by the characters and into the action and are having a good time, you're not going to notice that stuff. And I think this film achieves that. Like, yeah, I can nitpick stuff, but uh, yeah, it's just fun. So to me, if you're having fun, you're not going to point all that shit out. All right, let's move on to pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. All right, pros. Um, it keeps you entertained for the 115-minute duration. It's got an all-star cast of badass actors. I love the cast in this movie. It's one of my favorites. It's fun and funny overall. Um, and Nick Cage, his fucking wig. That badass wig. Can't talk, I can't stop talking about that hairpiece. It had me believe. believe it, it had me believe in it, you know. It, 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 <laughs> when I was young and dumb and didn't know any better. <laughs> But I believe in the wig. I believe in the wig. No, I don't know. It was, you know, it was, it was pretty cool seeing him with long hair like this. So, especially that scene where he's smiling and it zooms in and the wind's just blowing that baby thing just back. And anyway, I'm done talking about the wig now. How about you? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, my pros, similar to yours. I mean, first one definitely has to be the cast. I mean, it's just an excellent cast. I mean, you know, between the agents like Cusack and Calmini to the inmates. I mean, who doesn't love Buscemi, MC Ganey, fucking love both those guys. Uh, Malkovich, uh, Cyrus of Iris. Um, also, um, Bing Rames is uh diamond dog, like awesome. Like just some of the expressions he does, like you can tell he's just having a ball during this film. Uh, Cause usually you see him and he's like a tough, quiet type guy in the movies. So this one, he gets to have a lot more fun as diamond dog. So I really appreciate that. Um, so yeah, definitely the number one pro is the cast. I think that really makes it, um, my number two pro is the action. I mean, you just don't see movies like this anymore with all the explosions. I mean, there's so much fucking fire in this movie, uh, real fire. I mean, I just appreciate that instead of the CGI shit you get nowadays. Like when you see movies like this from back in the nineties or earlier, you feel the heat. Like it, it adds to it when there's real fire and real explosions and uh, squibs and just real effects. Like, yeah, the, some of it's, you know, computer stuff like the car getting drugged behind, like that's all kind of computer and screened and all that, but it's just like minor shit. So like that action overall, just the, scope of it and the budget and just the feeling of it. It just feels like a big movie. You feel it with the fire. So I appreciate all the action and the big set pieces, uh, with the plane crashing through fucking, uh, Vegas, uh, just feels like a big action movie that you just don't get anymore. So that definitely has to be my second pro. 
Uh, and my last one is this movie is just funny in a lot of spots. Sometimes it's funny because of the cheese and just silliness. Sometimes it's just legitimately funny. Uh, one part we didn't really talk about when Nick Cage is in the hangar there um, at the airbase and he runs into the cartel and he's like, if you shoot me, the inmates will know. And then the fucking guy just pulls out a silencer like that shit's fucking funny. Like in a lesser movie, they wouldn't have something like that. But it is kind of funny. Just the expression on the cartel yeah, guy's face. Yeah, and he fucking, just put, puts a silencer on uh, Thomas Rosales Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know he's been a, he's one of those uh, that guys. Um but just that type of stuff. It has a lot of funny one-liners. And I mean, who can't laugh at fucking sayonara? I mean, that's like one of my favorite lines in the movie just because it's so ridiculous. And you could tell they just had that shit fucking lined up <laughs> from the beginning of writing this script. <laughs> the writer's like, I got to get sayonara in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, you could tell everybody's having fun in the film and it just translates and it's just hilarious. Um, so yeah, that's that's my pros for me. Uh, I forgot to mention this whole episode that Baby O is played by Mikel T. Williamson. Fucking Bubba. Yeah, Bubba Gump. Bubba Gump, yeah. baby. Yeah, I didn't put it together when I was younger because uh, obviously I had seen Forrest Gump before this. Um, but I didn't put it together. He, cause in that, you know, in I knew who he Forrest was because he was also in Heat before this as well. Yeah, he was in Heat. Um, I didn't put it together because he just looked so different the way he stuck his lip out and everything in oh, Forrest yeah, Gump and obviously the way he talked. So I didn't put it together till later. I was like, wait a minute, that's fucking Bubba Gump. I didn't mm-hmm. even realize that shit. All right, let's move on to cons. I wrote one down. Just due to the amount of characters, some of the more popular or interesting characters don't get the screen time that they, they deserve. And, you know... And it's not even a major con. It's just, uh, it's it's just something that I thought of. Um, there are some people that I wish we had a little bit more time with. Like, uh, I feel like Diamond Dog. We don't really see. He's just kind of there, taking orders from Cyrus. The movie during the movie, we don't really see that much with him. Not that we really need to. It's fucking being rings, you know. We we get it. Um, but there's just some people like like definitely uh, Garland Green. Absolutely, feel like we could have used a couple more scenes with him just to get just to get a sense of his more psycho, uh, more psychotic side, you know. Because more what we do see of him is just more like Hannibal Lecter based. But uh, there's got to be a dark yeah. side to him that unfortunately we don't even get to see a hint of or any hint of. So. I would totally be down if they did a spinoff movie just about Garland Green. Uh, <laughs> what Steve happens Buscemi after they back. apprehend him at the casino? Yeah, that would be the shit. I, I mean, I love Garland Green in this film, yeah. I, I would be all about that. Yeah, so that's the only con, really. Um, I mean, if you really want me to start digging deep, I guess... Um, I, I don't know. This movie's just too fun and too forgivable. There's that word again. To to really have much more than that one con that I have a gripe with. Because honest to God, I don't have issues with it other than that. You know? It's not a perfect movie. It's not. Far from it. But I don't have issues big enough to warrant a con. But, you know, the one I did list is kind of pushing it, to be honest with you. So, how about you? Kind of curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, mine are two nitpicky cons. Uh, my first one 
and this isn't just coming from me as somebody who's older and watched this a bunch. I've always had an issue with this in this movie. And that's at the beginning, the whole altercation. I just don't buy the fact that those guys just from that little altercation with Poe would wait around in the rain to jump him. I just don't buy it. I, I just wish they would have came up with something a little bit better. I mean, it's not that hard yeah, I got to you. have Poe like you're right to have Poe smack the guy around or something first. And then they come back to mug him like just have it a little bit more believable. It's always stood out to me. I've always thought it was silly. The fact that those guys had that much of a problem with Poe and they come back to try to mug him and then stab him. You know, it's just silly to me. So that it's a minor con, but you know, who cares? It gets the movie uh, started, but you know, minor con. And then my other one is you touched on it. I have a hard time believing that like diamond dog <laughs> and um, Cyrus the virus, like all these inmates would just coexist that well. I know they're working together to get out, but I feel like you could have had a little bit more character stuff with them kind of bucking against each other. You know, because you figure Diamond Dog, like, he's built as this, like, Islamic, like, Black Panther, um, Black Power type of guy. And then he's just taking orders from yeah, he, this fucking... He, he strikes me as someone who wouldn't be taking orders from a, a white man of all people like Cyrus. Yeah. Someone who's a known racist himself. Yeah, you have this white fucking milk toast guy, like, leading him and he just... And I know they touch on it where Diamond Dog is like, I'll have my day. But I just don't buy that he would keep himself right. like subservient that whole film. He, he, so he's I, got more dig- dignity than that, you know? Yeah. And they portray him as smart. Like he's a best-selling author. Like <laughs> they say he's a best-selling author. So I would think he would have a brain behind it too. So I just would have liked maybe a little bit more dynamic between like those guys at the top, but very minor. I mean, you know, movies already almost two hours. So how much really more did you want to add? Right. But, uh, yeah, just minor stuff that I picked up while watching. All right. Well, um, do we want to do cancellations for this episode? Because, honestly, the entire flight, every single convict, especially Johnny 23, would be canceled if we actually went through this. So we can. Yeah. I mean, we can. I mean, Johnny 23 would be the obvious, but I mean, I think you would have to cancel Con Air. I mean, yeah, what as kind a of whole. Fucking- what kind of fucking flight doesn't have an in-flight meal when they're going to be gone that long? I mean, you know, they're going through all this shit. I didn't see any trays of fucking food on that plane. So, like, what are the inmates going to eat the whole time? Yeah. Yeah, Con Air, fucking worse than Spirit Airlines, which is hard to do. All right. Well, let's move on then to uh Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? I would rewrite the entire opening setup, like you said, because it bothers me that he gets such a harsh sentence for defending his family in this. You know what I mean? I do like the lawyer, though. He's like, take the deal. John Deal's like, take it, you'll get a few years. (laughs) That'll be it, man. Seven to ten years. You're a special, you you, you know, you're, whatever he says. And it's like, oh, God, John Deal, you're fired. So, yeah, um... That I would do that. I, I would definitely rewrite that opening sequence. Maybe put him away for something else. Maybe a DUI or something. I don't know. Who knows? That's just me spitballing th- things. So, how about you, Core? Yeah, mine would probably be the beginning as well, like you said. But I'm going to mention something else because you said that. And that's the fact that 
you know, our big hero, Poe, during the scene where all the fucking um, uh, SWAT guys are getting ambushed in the boneyard and Poe's just fucking running with his needle to get to his friend, which <laughs> I understand. That's why he's there to save his friend. But when you see a literal pile of fucking dead bodies behind him, it's hard to, like, keep him in that hero, epic hero role as he's fucking running with his fucking wig blowing in the wind. Right, room. right. And, and I'm like, damn, he ain't even fucking trying to help these guys. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ, like, at least make a fucking effort to, uh, like, point a gun sideways and shoot it like you're trying to help him. Jesus Christ. Right. Like, he's just not even doing anything. I'm like, damn, Poe, you're supposed to be our hero, man. Larkin's fucking saving the day with his fucking oversized white shirt. I mean, what the hell? Like... <laughs> Why is Cusack got to be the main hero? All right, then let's move on. The finger licking good. <laughs> finger licking good. Uh, Lunar Air Force, you know that that scene, the or airfield. Sorry, the whole Lunar Airfield sequence um, for me is uh, it's always been my favorite, um, just because I feel like that's where the most interaction happens from everybody and. You know, it's a nice, it's a, it's a solid 20, 30 minute sequence that doesn't really overstay its welcome. And, uh, you get a lot of the action in this sequence. So, uh, that's what I'm going with is the, the Lunar Air Force or Airfield. Yeah. That, that whole scene, that whole 15, 20 minutes. So. Yeah. Mine's the same too. I mean, I think most people kind of pick that. Uh, cause you get to see the characters spread out a little bit. Yeah. Obviously like Garland green goes and finds the little girl. Um, you know, you see s- some of the other side characters, um, off doing their things. And then obviously you get Nick cage and the funny spot with the cartel. So yeah, I mean, that is the best part of, uh, parts of the movie is, uh, when they're on the airfield. Um, you know, for sure. This movie is guilty as a lot of nineties action movies are of having two kind of endings. Cause initially when you're watching this movie, you probably think the airfield is going to be it, but cause you, you know, you have like the ambush or at the hour and a half mark, uh, you know, you kind of feel like it's probably going to end there and then they take off and then they go to fucking Vegas. Um, and I'm not saying it's a bad way, but a lot of movies, uh, especially in this era had that where you have, a big fucking set piece. And then you have a tackle on second big set piece, uh, <laughs> that ends the movie, you know, and I'm not saying the Vegas stuff is bad. It's still entertaining. And it was pretty cool watching like the plane crash. But honestly, if you took that out and just had the ending at the airfield and you just gave some of the side characters more time, honestly, I wouldn't complain about that, you know? So, uh, but yeah, definitely learner airfield. I, you know, even though the movie has two endings, to me, that's the highlight of the whole film. All right. Um, let's move on then to like this, try that. You can deal with this, or you can deal with that. You can deal with this, or you can deal with that. You can deal with this, or you can deal with that. I think you this, but this is where it's at. So if you liked Con Air, then for me, you should try... 1996's Turbulence with Ray Liotta. Oh, good one. Lauren Holly. Similar, sort of ish. Takes place in an airplane for the duration. You've got a convict named, I forgot his name, but he's played by Ray Liotta. <laughs> and he's really psychopathic. <laughs> he's a psychopath. He's crazy. You got him by his name of whatever the fucking his name, name is. is. <laughs> his name is Crazy Man. 
and Lauren Holly is the flight attendant, and her and uh, the the the, the uh, Catherine, what's her face, who plays Karen Broccoli in the Child's Play movie. Uh, uh, yeah, her name, her. They're they're in it as stewardess, and it ends up being just two people left. It's Ray Liotta and Lauren Holly, and yeah, without me giving away the entire plot, it's a film that I feel is kind of similar to dealing with psychopaths on an airplane, and they take control, and that's kind of what happens in this movie. And it's kind of it's got a kind of um, you know, over exaggerated third act, sort of similar to this. Oh, yeah. Not the not the same kind, spinning. yeah. Not not the same kind of shit that happens in Con Air, but something similar. So yeah, no uh, turbulence. Um, seek that out if you can. I think it's on Prime, but yeah, that's the that's the movie that um I'm gonna go with this week. How about you, Core? Yeah, it's an underrated movie and an underrated uh, Ray Liotta performance. I really appreciate his uh, crazy serial killer guy in that movie. So yeah, good pick. Um, so. Mine was between two movies. Catherine so Hicks. I'm gonna go. <laughs> Sorry, good, good one. <laughs> Catherine Hicks. Cat- Booyah! That was her name from Child's oh. Play. Um, so I'm gonna also go with another airplane movie. Actually, it might have been released the same year. I could be wrong, but uh, I'm gonna go with Air Force One, uh, starring Harrison Ford. Uh, same year. Gary Oldman. Yeah, I was pretty sure it was around that time. Um, another airplane movie, obviously the plot, um, Harrison Ford is the president or on air force one gets taken over by terrorist. Uh, you get to see Harrison Ford kick some ass. You get to see pretty much anything you could think of on air force one on the plane. And then obviously you get the big line, get off my plane, fucking <laughs> grouchy ass Harrison Ford. Yeah. Uh, good movie. I think it pairs well together. Just made from the same era. Just that big action movie. You know, obviously different, like the Con Air is definitely far cheesier and uh, far more over the top, even though, you know, I think Air Force One getting hijacked is pretty fucking unrealistic. But, uh, you know, I think they go well together as far as like the late 90s action on a plane. So, yeah, check out Air Force One if you haven't checked it out before. I'm sure most people have. But yeah, it's a big movie still. Anyway, let's move on to, uh, well, let's give out our. Movie MVPs. All right, now you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is. Uh, why don't you go first? I mean, it has to be Nick Cage. Like, yeah, I, it's his movie. That's, that's like, from I've... the fucking accent to the fucking like showing off his bod mm-hmm. to the ass kicking. This um, is Cage film through and through. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like the, he's not like the craziest, like it's not the cagiest cage, like on the cage meter, we're right in the middle, but, uh, you know, he's still entertaining, like, yeah, there's a few spots, like you talked about at the beginning, where he fucking just like starts going, ah, boy, like out of fucking nowhere, like that's pretty cage-like. <laughs> And then the whole thing with the bunny and well, like certain parts of his accent. It, it boils down to this real quick because I'm I'm on the same you know I'm on, I'm in agreement with you 100 percent all the way. But the when people talk about Con Air, you know they don't say like you know that that great John Cusack film Con Air or that great John Malkovich film Con Air for all the actors and trust me, there's plenty of big name actors in this movie. It's always. Nick Cage's Con Air. Everyone always refers to it as yeah. a Nick Cage vehicle. So, boom. Yeah, and I don't want—I don't want to downplay anything because I like Malkovich's Cyrus the Virus. Oh, absolutely, I think he's great. 
Uh, he's funny and entertaining. I mean, he's supposed to be like really smart in the movie, but he also has a couple spots where he's kind of fucking dumb. Like I'm surprised it <laughs> took him that long to realize that like something was going on on the plane. But anyway, uh, I love Buscemi. Like he's like, he is just great. I, he's one of my favorites. MC Ganey is, um, swamp thing. Like one of my favorite roles of his, cause I'm a big fan of his in general. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to downplay anybody else, but it has to be Cage. Yeah, I think so. Well, it is, as far as you and I are concerned. And it's our show, so that's what goes. All right, we're going to move on to the final category. As always, the final effect. Ow. On a scale of one. Ow. On a scale. Ah. On a scale. Ow. On a scale of one to ten. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. Give me the damn veggies. What do you think? All right. Let's give out our final ratings. Uh, starting with me, I'm going to give it three and a half stars. Like I said at the top, Con Air is a fun film. It's an adventure that's chock full of the most ridiculous, over the top, but still incredible action set design. It's action pieces, action scenes, action period. I don't know where Disney got all this money from for this kind of cast back in 98 or 97 rather, but it's a, it's a fucking winner and something that isn't discussed enough, I feel. Simon West is someone who, honestly, I pegged as the next Michael Bay. I had him pegged as the next Michael Bay up until about eight or nine years after the film opened. And, and you saw the Tomb Raider films. And his biggest hit was Tomb Raider, Laura Croft, Laura freaking Croft. Remember that film? Anyways, it's no masterpiece by any means, but it's still a roller coaster ride that I can't stop recommending after 25 years. And here is to 25 more years of singing. Nothing makes me sadder than the agent lost his bladder on the airplane. Corey? <laughs> so yeah we're right on with the ratings this week mine's uh three and a half as well three and a half out of five nice. um not a perfect film like we said but just if you want some 90s action with a huge fucking helping of cheese added this movie delivers so well uh i mean it's just a breeze even though it's you know maybe on the longer side for some action movies it's a breeze like it's just paced super well um, it's just shot very well too. Like it's a, just a pretty looking movie, uh, just to watch. I mean, like I said, I thought for a while, I thought it was a Bay movie. Um, when in fact, obviously with, like we said, Simon West, but, uh, it's just pretty like the money's on the screen. Like it just looks like a big budget action movie, which is not always the case nowadays. I mean, you see some movies and you're like, man, that looked terrible. What? They had $150 million. Like what the fuck, you know, but, uh, this is back in the day where the money was on the screen with the like I said before, the practical effects and just the big set pieces. So, yeah, I mean, they just, I don't mean to sound old. They just don't make it like that anymore. The big um, action, non-IP, original, um, R-rated action movie. I just miss that so much. I mean, you just don't get it a lot. I mean, we got Ambulance recently, and then that fucking bombed terribly. So we probably won't get anything like that again for a while. Um, so... Pretty much, I got to go back and revisit these type of movies to, to have some fun. But yeah, I think if you're looking for a big, fun action movie that you don't want to think about too much, uh, this movie definitely fits the bill. And like I said, I think it's Nick Cage's finest work as far as action goes. 
Um, and I think it's one of Bruckheimer's best, uh, you know, while it might be ridiculous, I, <laughs> I don't see how you can be an action fan and not have fun, especially if you grew up around the time we did. I right. just think it's such a flashback to the past and just so awesome and just so easy to watch. And I can just pretty much recommend it to anybody. Just such a great movie. All right. Well, this episode sponsored by Greyhound. Next time, just take the bus. As always, it's not a real sponsorship, rather more of a faux sponsorship. It's a harmless comedy bit and isn't meant to ever be taken seriously. Relax, these are the jokes. And sadly, this is going to be <laughs> the end of our Conair episode, a film that without a doubt, absolutely, positively, 100% gets that full film effect seal of approval. One down, many more to follow. Check out our ever-growing collection of previous episodes on your podcast service of choice or from our website, thefilmeffectpodcast.com. And please like, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, or you can send us an old-fashioned email. Links for all that are in the episode notes. Ratings and reviews, they really help out the show and go a long way for us. Whether you like this episode or not, we welcome all forms of opinion on this podcast. Like I said, they really do help us out because of this thing called an algorithm. It's pretty much It pretty much determines how much our show is presented to the masses. The more interactions we get, these data munchers notice that and they give us a bump in the pecking order. So please... Comment, like, share, review, listen, rate, download, whatever you got to do to get us noticed. We appreciate it so, so much. And if you haven't already, don't forget to check out FewerCast and last week's Before Sunset episode, which was a blast to record and is performing considerably well in its first week. I'm really happy people are listening to it. So thank you so much to everyone who uh, have heard it by now. Uh, Coming up... Class is in session, and to celebrate, we're having back-to-school month here on the show for September that kicks off with a personal favorite next week, 1989's Heathers. Corey, I can't wait to talk about Heathers. I love Heathers so much. Like, it's a cult favorite, but it's a film that definitely, yeah, not that Heathers, the original Heathers, the film that, honestly, I've been seeing since it was, uh, I believe it was on Cinemax as a Vanguard Cinema exclusive at first, but I have the earliest of childhood memories watching this movie when it first came out on cable television, so I'm excited to talk about that as well as the, the film itself. Uh, how about you? Anything else that uh, it should be about Heather's you want to talk about before uh, a little sneak peek before next week's well- episode? Not really, because um, I was just going to say it should be interesting because it's a film I've only seen once. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I really am going to be going in fresh on this because, I mean, I remember a few things, but... When's the last time you seen it? Not a whole lot. Oh, God. I, I mean, I think I rented it back when I worked at Blockbuster. Oh, that long. I think that's the only time I've seen it. So, yeah, it's going to be a fresh experience rewatching it for the show. So, looking forward to it. Oh, well, fuck me gently with a chainsaw. September also means the premiere of our Film Effect Patreon campaign. Keep your eyes peeled to our social media pages this week for all information on the tiers and what the bonus episodes will be. If you listen closely to the past episodes, you should know what they'll be by now. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. We'll be back on Friday for fewer cast. And until then, I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this has been the Film Effect Podcast. Take care now. Bye-bye. And just put the bunny back in the box. <laughs> See you guys. Tell me now How do I live with you?
Oh, nothing makes me sadder than the agent lost his bladder in the airplane. <laughs>